We're delaying the teaching text just a little bit because I want to do an introduction to the series that we're, we're jumping into. We are in the season that, according to the church calendar, is called Epiphany. Now, if you were like me, who grew up in a church that, uh, and, and a context where the traditional church was uh, one that was, um, we, in the South African context, which is where I grew up, the traditional church was a large promoter of the apartheid regime. And so by the grace of God, my parents, uh, being, being passionate followers of, of Jesus through, through that rough season of, of history, um, as well as Lisa's parents, we had the privilege of, of both of our families being part of a church that defined themselves against the institutional church because the institutional church was seen to be uh, advocating for apartheid and for some of these things. Not, all, not everything they did was, was bad, um, and not every institutional church was bad, but what happened in the kind of evangelical Christian spectrum of uh, South Africa was you defined yourself against tradition. And so I never grew up with all these beautiful traditions that you can go through. And if, if that, that's you, I understand there's many different people coming from different backgrounds. Epiphany is a season where we look at Scripture and we try to, try to see what God is like. And the reason is this. We've just had Christmas. Jesus is born and he claims to be God. He claims to be the Messiah. The story goes and Scripture unfolds. And the questions that humanity wrestles with is, is there a God? And then there's a stark need for a savior, the brokenness, the, 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 the things we see every day, the, the, the pain that we deal with reminds us how much we need help. But then the, the very following question is like, if God is there, what is he like? If God does exist, what is he like? And the, the Christian faith has an answer, and the answer is this. He is displayed most accurately in the person of Jesus as we see him in the New Testament. So Jesus is born over Christmas, and then we spend time, we're going to spend five weeks looking at Jesus' life in a, through a particular lens of what is God like. God revealed. Epiphany is that God revealed to the world. And so the next five weeks is a hope for us that we would uh, look at that. This is what Hebrews chapter 1 uh, says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through him whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The Son is the exact representation of the Father of God. And so we want to look and jump into that and see what that is. Jesus manifests something truly profound about the nature of God. He comes and shows us something magnificent. And John, um, the Apostle John says it probably in the most distinct way. If I, could, if I could, in the most concise way, sum up what Jesus comes to reveal, it is what the Apostle John says when he says, God is love. 
And that is something in itself that in our culture is such a message that is absent. The nature of love has been so distorted to us, to our ears. We have grown up and been formed and shaped in a way that has told us love is something very other than what God has intended it to be. And so my prayer today, particularly with the text we're going to get to today and then through the next five weeks, is that we see a particular angle on Jesus, and that is that he is God's love revealed to us. This love does amazing things. It crosses the boundaries that we put up between us. We have borders. We have boundaries in our lives and in society that are really, really useful and helpful, and they're supposed to serve us. But in the end of the day, boundaries and borders often become the, the areas of conflict. They bring pain and division, and they bring, they bring brokenness and hurt to humanity. And so we're going to look at some of the boundaries within our society and within our own hearts, and we're going to say, God, how does your love cross over these divides and reach us in our hideaways? There are socioeconomic boundaries. There are racial boundaries, gender, neighborhood, religious. There's all these borders that are created, and Jesus comes, and through five weeks, we're going to see how he crosses them and what he does very, very beautifully to display the love of God. So here's the text we're looking at today. If you did grow up in the church, which I assume is not maybe too many, this is a story that you would have heard as a children's Bible story, and we don't often get to it in big church. (laughs) Jesus, Luke 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, just cue all the jokes that pastors make about the short guys climbing the tree. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. The context of our story is really, really important. Roman rule... Herod was, was, was really creating a system in which the rich have more and the poor have less. And it's often the people that Jesus would have been hanging around that were the poor and the outcast and not necessarily the cultural elite. And so the system was set up in this way that the, the Roman Empire would collect taxes and they also, the, those who benefit from the taxes, didn't want to do the dirty work of collecting the taxes. 
So what they would do was they would get like insiders to go around and do collecting. And then those insiders would have captains or chiefs that would have a few different people going around collecting the tax. And this is what Zacchaeus was. He was the guy who had a team of people who he sent out to go and collect taxes. Now, it's one thing to pay taxes when you don't want to pay taxes. It's another thing to pay more than you should pay because of an unjust system. And that's what was happening. It was the, the wealthy were becoming more wealthy because they would exploit the poor. It happened so often, we see it in our day. That, exactly that. And Zacchaeus was a sellout. Because the law was that, that God gave his people was radical in preventing the wealthy becoming more wealthy to the detriment of the poor. Here's a few examples. The, the law in Leviticus says that every seven years, those who are in debt have to be forgiven their debt. That's a radical idea. It's like, I wish that happened today. Every seven years, they got to, we don't know the bylaws, we don't know how the, yeah, but if they've made their payments on time, yes. Or this reminds me just a little bit, and I'm a little bit ignorant of it, I, I admit I'm still getting to know it, but it, it's so hard to get to know, student debt. This reminds me of student debt. It's like, it seems like this insurmountable burden on people in our nation. Anyway, that's an aside. So, debt was forgiven. Here's another example. If a person, there was, there was an understanding in, in the Old Testament that every person had a right to a piece of property. And they would, they would hand the property down generations because these, these generations would own their land. But every now and then, you know, the human being, we get into trouble. And then we sell the property, the one thing that we can hand down to our kids and the one thing that we can rely on, we sell that because we've got to pay debts or for whatever reason it was. Maybe there's some good reasons. There was a law passed that, or, uh, in Leviticus that every 50 years, if somebody had did that, every time the 50 year came around, he gets his, his property back. That's remarkable. Now, in our mind, that may be like, see, that's a little unfair. Because we live in a capitalist society, which is all about gaining and winning and all those kind of things. This society, there were some radical laws to try to not have rich people get richer at the exploitation of people who are vulnerable. Really, really beautiful things. Zacchaeus, who knew that law, was doing the exact opposite. He was, in an unjust way, exploiting the poor for the sake of, under his Roman rule, that the people he was accountable to, but he benefited from it as well. And therefore, he was as much of an outcast as you can imagine in this society. He was hated among his own people. With that understanding, when Jesus says to him, hey man, come on down, I want to come and eat with you. It was scandalous. In fact, it threatened Jesus' reputation completely. Him doing that, if you were looking at his career path, 
That would have completely threatened where he was aiming to go. The very people he was trying to reach. Not only that, there's an argument among scholars that this moment was one of the beginning moments of Jesus dying. And the reason they say that is because when, when Zacchaeus comes, and because of this encounter, this in, I wish I had the details of this encounter. What did Jesus say around dinner? What did they eat that changed his life so radically? He, he decides to change the entire way he operates. He gives away. He pays back. He says, I am going to lose. He loses out for the sake of repaying those back whom he cheated more than they were cheated out of. And the reason that was a threat to the Roman Empire, because the Roman Empire realized, if that kind of change could happen, we're toast. We rely on this money. We rely on this unjust economic system to thrive. Which means, in essence, what Jesus was doing right there was an economic revolution. A complete and utter revolution of how things work, the expected norms. Therefore, he faced a lot of trial because of that and potentially was part of the equation that got him crucified. Systemic injustice. Zacchaeus encountered Jesus. And in one sense, as I was thinking and praying about this, I thought, I actually am really glad I don't know what Jesus said to him because we are so good at turning things into formulas. And we just want to go, okay, great, boom, 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 let's do that, fix. No, 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 no. That's not the point here. The point was... A radical, personal encounter with Jesus that left a man completely changed, visibly, tangibly changed. I want us to think of the barriers in our personal lives of us encountering Jesus. Zacchaeus thought his barrier, in essence, was like maybe his height. He climbed up a tree. And that's, that's very real. Those are the most obvious things we think of. But there are barriers in our hearts from encountering the love of Jesus that keep us at a distance because we just can't face them. And we're going to look at some of them now. The first kind of shift that we see, and we see this in our culture particularly well, is being noticed. I don't know how you feel, but I feel like the things that irritate me most about our culture is the striving to be noticed. And that comes in so many forms. Sometimes it comes in beautiful forms, like I want to I do my thing so well. I want to do my craft, my art, my skill, my work so well that I'm noticed out in the community. And in, in the process, a lot of good is done. But I, I also feel like a lot of bad happens through this particular rhythm. We, we do things sometimes for shock value. We do things, we, 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 we say things, we encounter people, we post things on social media to be noticed. For one of the degree programs I'm doing right now, I have to read a book, and uh, it's about creating content um, as, you, uh, as you create webs, letters, books, etc. And the, the, content, the, the point he makes is that everybody creates content 
even our social media stuff, we're creating content. And that content, if it's well created, you'll get noticed. And it's true. It's true that that is. But that is, as a pursuit, is so superficial and empty. And what happens in the story is Zacchaeus goes, man, he's, he's heard of something. He's heard of this guy. Who told him? I don't know. Maybe, maybe he got word through connections like Levi. Levi, who was one of Jesus' disciples, was a tax collector. And they must know each other in that kind of sphere of influence that they had. And maybe he started seeing, Levi, what's happening to that guy? I want to see for myself. Curiosity, for some reason that we can't imagine, was sparked And he saw Jesus coming and he realized the only way he could see who this guy was, was climbing a tree. And he pursues Jesus in this kind of embryonic way as he climbs the tree and he seeks. And Jesus sees him up in the tree and he he calls calls him down. And and here's a stark kind of conundrum. The one who seeks doesn't realize that he's being sought. Zacchaeus, who thinks he's doing all the initiatives, the story ends, the last line of the story is this, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And Zacchaeus doesn't realize that he's the one that's making all this effort, doing something really undignified in the day. To climb a tree was not something that a grown man was supposed to do, nor was running. And he does both, and he climbs this tree, and he wants to see, and he's willing to do that because he hears something about Jesus. And then, in the end, Jesus reveals to him, this was not you, I came to seek you. And I wonder sometimes, when we so seek God, we seek hope, we seek so many things, these longings in our heart that we're wondering about, if we don't realize how much God himself is at work in us, seeking You may be here today because this, you coming here, is your act of tree climbing. You coming to church may be the very thing you said, man, I'm just going to go and see. I want want you to hear something, and, and it's something that's sometimes hard to understand, that you think you came to see, but God has been pursuing you with his relentless love for much longer than you can imagine. Being noticed. Genesis 16 is an amazing story. And the reason why I feel like this is important is we've got this city of 8.5 million people and many, many, many people feel lonely. And so to try to find a way to be seen in the crowd is what Zacchaeus was wrestled with. But sometimes you don't find yourself in a crowd. In Genesis 16, there's a story of Hagar who had been impregnated. She's pregnant. Um, she'd been rejected. She's a, sl- a slave girl. She'd been rejected by her master um, and been, been kicked out and forced out. And she, she runs away into the desert. There's nothing. There's no one. No one is around. She hides under a bush and she, was, and she resolves to die. She says... Here I'm going, I'm going out, and I'm just going to die. And in that moment, an angel of the Lord comes to her and speaks to her. And she has this amazing encounter, and she names God, one of the earliest names of God in Scripture. She names Him. Names were given with meaning. The meaning of this name that was given at that time was the God who sees. And with these two encounters that, I, that, that we look, look at now, 
I want to ask you if that's what you feel like, because sometimes you don't notice that you're being noticed. That whether you're in the midst of a crowd and feel like, man, no one's ever going to, my, my boss doesn't notice me, the, the person I'm longing to have a romantic relationship with doesn't notice me, it feels like I'm the only single person in the crowd who doesn't want to be single. It's real. We, we want to be noticed by our peers. We want to be noticed by our professors. We want to be noticed by our bosses. We, want, we, we long to be noticed. And here God says, whether you're in a crowd of people, or whether you're alone and hiding, I see you. And Jesus' love, his display of what God is like is, I notice you. God pursues us. Psalm 139 says, where can I flee from your presence? The next is being known. Not just notice. Noticed can be superficial. But here's the reality of this story. Jesus knew Zacchaeus. And he knew that Zacchaeus was hated. And he knew that Zacchaeus had violated the very heart of what Jesus was. Who he was. This guy who was hostile towards Jesus and everything Jesus stood for. Jesus stops and says, I'm going to go eat with him. I want want to go and love and, and be with him. We have so many options in our world that we really are forced to choose the ones we don't like. And here Jesus chooses that. Free will. I'm going to go hang with that guy. Probably the best equation. I wish I could find a better one, but probably the best example in our day is when there is a bombing in Paris and the world rallies against terrorism and we go, let's love and care for the community. Let's love the people, the victims, their their family who, who just had their loved ones die. How can we love our community well? Instead of doing that, going, how do we love the terrorists well right now? What do they need in an expression of love and care that would show them God? I think it's a hard question to ask, and I don't think we face that reality every day, so it feels stark, but I want to ask us, Those in our lives that seem so far, there are certain borders and boundaries that stop us from them and keep us from them. What are those borders? Who are those people? And how do we love them as Jesus displayed right here? Radical notions of love where you may lose your reputation. There there are scholars outside of Scripture that uh, say they have found evidence that Zacchaeus lost his job and eventually became a bishop. There are records of him being a bishop. When we do this kind of love, there's a radical cost to be paid. When we become the people of God, as we envision all of us standing here, yeah, this is an amazing day. We celebrate being community. Now we've got to go out and do it. Now we've got to go love the people who we live around. That's a little harder, especially when it costs us. Our convenience, our time, our reputation. What do we rely on when we want to love? Is it just the convenience, the people we know? And Jesus says salvation has come to this house today because there was a radical transformation. 
Maybe this is a warning, but also an affirmation in the sense that Zacchaeus paid a price. No matter what, he paid a very large price for his encounter with Jesus that day. We don't know the extent of that price, but we can imagine that it would be really, really, really large. But if the scholars are right, and I'm just putting an idea out there, this is not truth. If he then becomes a bishop, imagine what God had did for him in what felt like his life falling apart when he met Jesus. Then became, actually, no, Jesus was putting my life together as it was intended to be. So sometimes we go through those pains of loss and brokenness and, man, what's happening? But we also know that when Jesus invites us into a different way, a kingdom that is not of this world, he invites us to live a life where we are truly and fully alive. I'm going to show a video because the last little point is be loved, which we've spoken of through the whole time. But I'm going to show a little video. It's about a three-minute clip of a guy who did not deserve to be loved, who experienced love in a very transformative way. And then I'll end praying for us. I remember my, my, uh, you know, my stepfather, you know, would beat me and he, you know, he would beat me with extension cords and, and, and hangers and, you know, pieces of wood and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, after every beating, he would tell me, you know, it hurt me more than it hurt you. And, you know, I only did it because I love you. Which kind of, you know, it communicated the wrong message to me about what love was. So for many years, you know, I thought that love was supposed to hurt. And um, I hurt everyone that I love. And I measured love by how much pain someone would take from me. Um, And it wasn't until I came to prison in an environment that is devoid of love that I began to have some sort of understanding about what it actually was and was not. And I met someone And she gave me my first real insight into what love was because she saw past my conditions and the fact that I was in prison with a life sentence for murder. And not only for murder, but for doing the worst kind of murder that a man can do, murdering a woman and a child. And it was Agnes, the mother and grandmother of Patricia and Chris, the woman and child that I murdered, who gave me my best lesson about love because by all rights, she should hate me. But she didn't. And over the course of time and through the journey that we took That's been pretty amazing. She gave me love. And
she told me what it was. A love that crosses borders, that reaches beyond the walls that we put up to keep it out because once we are known, truly known for the worst and the best parts of us, when we are known for the worst parts of us, we assume ourselves to be unlovable and we keep it out. And Jesus' love displayed in this story was one that was willing to cross those walls, to scale them, and then subversively win Zacchaeus over and then destroy the walls and the borders that keep us and humanity at such odds with each other and brokenness with each other. So we're invited to two things through this text. And the context of the story was set in the previous chapter. And I'm going to read one verse of why I believe that. It's Luke 18, verse 17. It says this, Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And if you think of the poetry... And the literature of Scripture, there is this amusing play on like a child, and then Zacchaeus being short, and then Zacchaeus acting like a child to meet Jesus, running, climbing a tree, and then when he meets Jesus, he acts simply like a child, not in the complex way that we are so good at acting, which is Oh, Jesus, that's so amazing. I want to I give away. I wonder how much should I give. Should I, should I tithe pre-tax or post-tax? <laughs> We're so good at not being childlike. Zacchaeus was like, this is incredible. I want to give it away. I'll give half of my stuff away. I'm going to keep half because I still have to pay other people back four times what I stole from them. Act of generosity, acts of restitution. If you are not receiving the kingdom like a child, simply with faith, just receive it. No, you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it either. Just receive this love. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. And so my invitation is for you this morning to consider the walls and the barriers in your life, the obstacles that you feel like hinders you from experiencing the love of God. And then secondly, there is a reality in our world out there that, that we need to go and express love in the same way. Because our world needs that kind of love to bring restitution, to change, to bring true revolution as Jesus brought in the day. We need that kind of sacrificial, costly love. And then the next few moments, those are the two things I want you to think about the the borders that God wants you to break down. He, he has sought you before you even started seeking Him. What obstacles are there that He's scaled and, and trying to get into our own hearts and break those walls down? And then the second thing is, um, 
I want us to think of faces and names of people in your life and in my life who need to experience that kind of love. A radical, radical boundary, border-crossing love. Reaching out to them and saying, this is who our God is. We have things like Alpha, which is just such a beautiful moment to be able to go, yes, I know the person, but I don't know what to do. What do I say? What's easy, just like Jesus, exactly like Jesus, come to a meal with us. We're going to have a conversation about life, about the deep questions of life. That's how Alpha starts. You invite them to one dinner, or in this case, brunch, the next one that's happening. And you just go, we're going to eat together, and we're going to talk about this thing. Is there more to life than this? That's it. That question. Is there more to life than that which we are experiencing right now? And you invite them in around a table. And if you've been on Alpha, and hopefully in the next week you'll, you'll hear some stories about people who have been on Alpha, what happens is you ask that question, you have food, and slowly but surely walls come down. You don't even try to break the wall down. It just comes down. Here's one story that I'll end with, and then we'll pray. There was a lady on the last Alpha that, that we ran who came in and first time off was very, very, very clear. She's just like, the church has caused so much damage. I hate the church, etc., etc., etc. She's just like, I don't want anything to do with this. This is what's happened. This is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. And one of the things that you do when you're leading a group in Alpha is you learn how to absorb the hostility. You don't answer. You, there's no point in trying to answer the question. It's like, man, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. I want you to know I've felt pain from the church as well, but I've also felt the most incredible things. I'm so sorry. Just I affirm the pain that you've experienced through your whatever it is. By the end of it, her, her words, not mine, was, man, this church is amazing. I don't know what to do. God, she had an encounter with God because there was restitution. There was a wall in her heart that came down. All it sometimes takes is not alpha. It just takes us to go, come and have a meal with us. Let's talk. Think of the people who you can invite. Think of the people who need that in your life right now, who God's put you there shown you his love of crossing borders and asked you to do the same. I'm going to pray. Uh, in fact, I'm going to just leave a minute of silence for you to reflect on those two questions. What are the borders in our lives that we need to cross? And who are the people in our lives who need a love like this to be seen? And then uh, we'll partake in communion, which will be an emblem of, yes, God, you came. You got, you, your body got broken. Your blood got shed for us. Let's think about that, and then I'll pray.